You may be seated at this time. All right, as we get started today, since we are in a new month, this month we're featuring Mission Aviation Fellowship. Their mission is to share the love of Jesus Christ through aviation technology so that isolated people may be physically as well as spiritually transformed. Their vision is that every person on the earth will experience the love of Christ and respond positively to the gospel. They support indigenous churches, local evangelists, They provide access to medical care and disaster relief. And they also make community development projects possible in some of the most remote places on earth. A family that we've been, uh, in particular, um, communicating with and supporting is the Mills family. They're in Papa, Indonesia. Father and mother and three children, Kevin and Kim, are the parents. Kyler, Caleb, and Kara are the children. Um, They have a newsletter, and every month they um, update us on what's going on. Of course, they're dealing with the same COVID plague that we're dealing with, and um, their number of students in their um, school has gone down quite a bit, Um, but they still have a dormitory ministry with many of their families. They're from all over. They're from America, from Korea and Germany. They're all coming into there. Basically, it's a school for the children of the missionaries. And they ask, of course, as always, for our prayers. They, um, at the end of their, of their letter, they said, thank you, all your support is changing the world one kid at a time. So please keep Mission Aviation Fellowship in prayer, and Mills family in particular in prayer. All right, this morning, um, at the end of service, because it is the first Sunday of the month, we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper today. Today's message, the title is The Root of All the Evils. The root of all the evils. We begin in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. If you could turn there now. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. We've been seeing that verses, chapters 5 and 6. Paul has given instructions to Timothy about different groups of people in the congregation, in the community. We saw that he dealt with the widows and their families, with the elders, with the slaves. And then he dealt with false teachers again. And we're going to pick things up today with a subject that he enters into because of the behavior of the false teachers. But this message is for everybody. 1 Timothy 6, starting in verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. I read you the King James Version because it's clear. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all the evils, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. The false teachers that Timothy's dealing with in Ephesus at this time, they thought that godliness, the things of the Lord, was a means of great financial gain. There are a lot of men who think that. 
There are a lot of men who use their ministries as a means of great financial gain for themselves. They also equated financial gain with godliness. In other words, if you are prospering financially, then you must be godliness. You must be living the way the Lord wants you to. Of course, we have many examples in the word of God where the opposite is true. That people who are prospering financially actually were turning away from the things of the Lord. In any event, here's the truth. The truth is this, the greatest provision in this life. After all, finances are to provide for us. Now, the greatest provision in this life of all is found in contentment. It's found in contentment. And that comes from knowing and following God's ways. Because as at the, when you think about it, when our, the whole idea of our needs being taken care of leads to the fact that we can rest. Those who are never satisfied with what they have can never rest. They can never just rest and trust in the Lord. And therefore, they're missing the greatest provision in life. And that's really what Paul is going to walk through with Timothy today. But I'd like you first to turn to the Gospel of Luke. Stay, of course, in 1 Timothy 6. But please turn out of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, starting in verse 15. This is an example of somebody that thought that gain, financial gain, was the whole meaning of life. He discovered his foolishness when it was too late. It's a parable. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Then he said to them, beware, be on your guard against every form of greed. That's good advice for us. We should take the initiative in being aware and on our guard against every form of greed. Because greed can creep up on us. We don't even realize it. Greed is a great evil and it's in all of our hearts. And unless we take steps to hold it back, to beware, be on our guard against it, it can take us over just like it. Paul has talked about the false teachers. Beware, be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. It's so much more than that. And the Lord told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. He began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do? since I have no place to store all my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You see, notice that everything about him had to do what he thought was his. So many times the Lord uses the word I and my in this passage. As if the only thing that mattered to to a soul, to the soul of man, was the goods that were stored up. And of course, the soul of man desires so much more than that. It's desires that only the Lord can fulfill. The, The basic needs of the soul. Yes, the needs of the body are a part of it. But the soul goes way beyond the needs of the body. The food, the clothing, the shelter, the transportation, and so forth. 
verse 21. How do you, how do you address this? So is the man who, tr- who stores up treasures for himself. You see, that's the limited form. That's the gain that too many people focus on. However, they're not rich toward God. And, and this has first to do with time, with concentration. And also, yes, with finances, where you can help other people and provide for the um, preaching of God's word. This man had no interest in any of those things. All right, let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, and we'll continue here this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. We have, we'll be going through quite a few scriptures this morning, so um, get ready to keep moving around in your Bibles. 1 Timothy 6, 6. Again, I'm going to read the King James. But godliness with contentment is great gain. See, it's backwards. He's saying gain is not godliness. It's the other way around. Godliness with contentment is great gain, but it's a different kind of gain. You see, in verse 6, Paul is contrasting material gain and spiritual gain. He had done this earlier in the letter of 1 Timothy, but with respect to exercise, with respect to bodily discipline. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, for what he said there. Let's go back a couple of chapters to verse, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. The contrast between that which is material and that which is spiritual. Notice here, he's talking about bodily discipline and he's contrasting it with something else. And he's going to explain why that something else is superior. And this applies in spades to the difference between material prosperity and spiritual prosperity. For bodily discipline is only of little profit. But godliness is profitable for all things. It goes way beyond. Since it holds promise for the present life, God isn't saying you have to sacrifice everything and I'm not going to provide in this life. Of course he's going to provide. But godliness goes way beyond that. He says godliness is profitable for all things. It holds promise for the present life. He's going to take care of our needs. Also, the godliness is, of course, how we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, how we live a full life. So it is for this present life, but he goes on, he says, and also for the life to come. So in other words, when we die, it doesn't all end. There's a, we, our soul continues, and there's a life to come. And it's godliness that is profitable for that life to come. It is now, godliness, remember, has, this, has, this, has a uh, focus on the teachings of the Lord and also the behavior that should come from it. So it's a whole life. It's a whole life we're to lead. And when we lead that life, it's profitable now, but it's also for the life to come. Even the suffering we go through, perhaps especially the suffering that we go through, has a a dividend, if I could put it that way, in the life to come. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, momentary light affliction now is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. The things that God has prepared for us who love him, the inheritance that is ours, the richness of eternal life. You see, godliness is profitable for all those things. And therefore, living the way the Lord wants us to live, being content with what he's given us, is, is the way in which we live now, but it points forward to the life that is to come. Let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7. He goes on. He said, godly, he said in verse 6, godliness plus contentment is great gain. 
Now he's going to expand on this. He's going to explain this further in verse 7. For we have brought nothing into the world. Isn't that true? When we were born, did we bring anything with us other than what we got in the womb? No. We came out of the womb penniless and naked. We have brought nothing into the world, so we can't take anything out of it either. In other words, all of that we toil and work for, all of the, 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 the material needs and the financial concerns and all those things, they're, they're limited to this life here on earth. All right? we, we, we started with nothing. We're going to end with nothing. All right? When our body goes into the ground, all of those riches that we've stored up and so forth are of no value anymore. And, and in the life to come, those, those won't even be a factor. It's, it's, with life to come, it is our relationship with the Lord. It is the eternal life that He has given us. The righteousness that we've been credited with. All those things. Not anything that we've built up financially in this life. Yes, we need those things now. But we need to have a perspective on them. When we were born, we didn't have any of that. When we die, we leave it behind. They've brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. Now, verse 7 is true on the face of it. Anybody who stops and thinks about it would have to agree with it. It's a very simple, obvious fact. A baby comes into this world with nothing. Okay. Now, we talk about being born with a silver spoon in his mouth for some people that are born into rich families. But even that, you know, that's stuck in his mouth after he's born. He comes in with nothing. We leave with nothing. We leave it behind. We leave it all behind. You can't take it with you. All right. So this is a fact. Simply, everybody understands this. So when when the, when our body goes into the ground, the riches that we've that we've um, collected, whatever they might be, are of no use to us. They're no use to us anymore. Job understood this even in this life. You could look at Job chapter one again. Keep your keep your finger in First Timothy six. We'll be back. But take a look now at Job chapter 1, verse 20. He says much the same thing. Job chapter 1, verse 20. Give me a moment to get there. But if anybody ought to know about the the, uh, temporary nature of riches in this world, it would be Job. He was the richest man of his time. He He had great wealth in cattle and fields. He also had a wonderful family. He had lots of children. He was in great health. He had everything. The Lord has blessed him in every possible way. Put a hedge around him. Prosperity. And yet in one day, he lost all of that. His children were, 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 were killed in a, in a disaster. Um, robbers came and took all of his wealth away. And then he started to get boils on his face. He, his health went totally, op- totally south. He had no health left. All of that was lost. But at the end of that, even in the face of, of his wife, his close partner, telling him, you know what? You should curse God and die. It's over. What was Job's attitude? Look at verse 20. Then Job arose and he tore his robe and he shaved his head and he fell down to the ground and worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, it's the Lord's decision about what we have. He'll give things to us. He'll take them away. And yet, throughout all of that, what does Job say? The key is to keep on worshiping the Lord. 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. We didn't, we didn't, after all, we didn't come with any of it ourselves. Anything that we have in life comes from the Lord. He's made the provision. He, he willed it so that all of us here would be, would be in the United States of America. I don't know if we were all born here, but we're all here now. That was his will. Whenever it is that in your childhood you were given or not given, two parents, one parent, no parent, rich family, poor family, that was all God's choice. And remember, God does what's best for us. We don't understand it. See, our humans, the human part of us that craves wealth and well-being and comfort and lots of food and all of that, right? We don't, we, 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 Sometimes I'm resentful when we look at it and say, you know, Lord, why did you put me in this family that's all messed up? And look, my friend over there, he's got a great family. He's healthy. I've got some medical issues. Why, Lord? Why? And the answer is because that's his will. It's his sovereignty. Where, and we have to just trust the fact that he knows what's best for us. He says, I will not hold back any good thing. And you see... Why is it that God's ways are so different from ours? Well, the simple answer is he's not concerned so much about our material prosperity. He really isn't. His eye is on the ball, on the ball of our spiritual prosperity. Why? Because he understands that all that other stuff is limited to this life. When we die, none of that matters. But our soul prosperity, our spiritual growth, our relationship with the Lord, the things that we have given up, the things that he has caused us to be without the times when he said i want you to go forward in my plan and you have to put this behind all those things like like i like i mentioned in second corinthians 4 are building an eternal weight of glory that's what he's after whether you understand it or not he puts you in the in the perfect place for you to, to hear the gospel one day and be ready to hear it and believe it that's more important than any of those other factors that we spend so much time obsessing about the, the thing that matters in our life are two things. One is to believe in the gospel. Two is to hear the word of God and, and act accordingly. Those are the things that matter. Anybody can do that. God is an equal opportunity giver when it comes to the matters of the spiritual life. Anybody can hear the gospel and believe it. Anybody. You can be rich. You can be poor. You can be in a great family, in a terrible family. You can have all the food you could ever desire. You could be scraping by to get your food for tomorrow. It doesn't matter who you are. You have an opportunity every day as a Christian to hear the word of God and live according to it. To pray. To, be, to, be, to, be, to love one another. To be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. To think about the other's needs, not just your own. Everybody has the opportunity to do that. And those are the things that ultimately matter. But it requires a change of perspective. That's what Jesus was doing when he told that parable about the foolish rich man. Change your perspective. Whatever it is that you're focused on, we all have folk, we all have things of, of a financial nature, material nature, health-related, all those kind of things that, of course, we're going to be concerned with at times. But what he's saying is, is get a perspective on them. Don't let that be the be-all and the end-all. Have time every day to pray. Have time and consideration of other people that are going through things. Those are the real treasures. Treasures in heaven. All right. So let's, one other place I want to go now with this theme is Psalm 49. If you could go to Psalm 49 now, verse 16 and 17. Same principle. 
It's a principle given many times in the Word of God. If we were to go through the passages that say this, we would be just on this one subject this morning. But we will move on in 1 Timothy chapter 6 in a moment. Psalm 49, 16. Job said it. Paul wrote it in 1 Timothy. And now we see the psalmist, David, saying the same thing. Psalm 49, 16. Do not be afraid when a man becomes rich. It not that what happens? You know, we have a friend, a neighbor, or you go to your, your high school reunion, and then you have, there's always people there at the time who are prospering. And they may have a great job. They may have, you know, the, the perfect, supposedly, husband or wife. They may have kids that are doing great. All those kind of things. And it's natural for us to say, wow. You know, I'm a little intimidated by that. Why, why didn't I achieve all of that? And the Lord says, just don't be afraid. For one thing, you know, that person today could be Job tomorrow. That person today could be the rich, foolish man who's going to die tonight. You don't know. You're looking at a situation right now. What you've got to do is forget about other people. Don't compare your situation to theirs. Just realize that God has given you everything you need and rest in that. And trust in that. Be content. The worst thing is not to be content because you're always striving. You're always anxious. You're always worried. God says, that's not the design I have for your life. Do not be afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased. Here we are again. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away, and his glory will not descend after him. You see, see, men who strive for glory according to the world's definition of it, you know, popularity, great houses, um, people's you know, approval, all those kind of things that people strive for in this life. Okay, that's not the real glory. That goes away. You know, when we get into heaven, nobody's going to say, hey, there's Bill over there. Remember the mansion that he had on earth? They're not going to say that. They're not going to say, you know, he became the CEO of his company. And the Lord's going to say, who cares? He's going to say, what matters is, is what did he do with that big house? How did he affect people's lives being a CEO? That's what he's going to look at in heaven. Now, there's nothing wrong. And he's going to say there's nothing wrong with being rich. There's nothing wrong with having wealth, having houses, being a CEO. None of those things are wrong. As a matter of fact, if that happens to you, God placed you there. That's not the issue. The issue is what's in your heart. Are you always grasping for more? Are you never content with what you have? Are you, are you always so focused on what you're getting, what you want, what you need, what you're striving for, that you never stop and say, wow, the Lord has blessed me. I've got the ability to take care of people who need what I have a lot more than I do. You see, that's the difference. Your glory from this world will not descend after you. Let's continue now in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's go to verse 8 as we move along in this passage this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8. He's now going to describe very specifically what, what are the elements which we are con- should be content with. He's going to say, listen, you, you ought to really just strip things down and look at life simply. What does it come down to? 1 Timothy 6, 8, when it comes to our needs, material needs, he says what? If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. In other words, those are the basics. We're blessed in the United States of America beyond our imagination, although we don't understand it. 
Because the large majority of people in this country have these things. They have food, they have clothing, and they have shelter. may not be great. There may be days when the cupboard is pretty uh, bare. But, you know, some way or another, people get food to eat. We don't have a, a lot of people, thank God, in this country, they're starving to death, literally. Why do I say that? Because we have millions of people in other countries who are starving to death. Do you know that, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but there's a report, apparently, that the UN has, has sent out, believe it or not, that says that, I forget the number, I think it's 300 million people will starve this year because of the economic downturn caused by the COVID virus. 300 million, that's the population of the United States. So there's a lot of people out there in much greater financial need than we can even imagine. And so we ought to be content with what we have. Think about it. The Lord is asking them, if they're Christians, to be content with what they have. He's telling people who survive on $2 a day, be content with that. Now, he's not saying that, you know, you'll never do any better than that. He's not saying that I, 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 will, I will bless you at some point. But he's saying right now, today, it does your soul no good to be discontented and striving and complaining and bickering. Just relax. Take, take it one day at a time. That's what he tells us to. He says, you know, look at what you're eating. Are you, are you, do you have food? Do you have clothing? Right? I don't see, again, in this country, we're so blessed. I don't see people, for the most, there are some out there, but for the most part, people are clothed. They're well clothed. They don't have to worry about where their clothes are coming from. Even, even people that are um, destitute can go places where they can get clothing and food. It's a great country. It really is still a great country. And then shelter. Now, there are homeless people, but they're in the minority, okay? By the way, what are we supposed to do about that? Well, again, the Lord says, those who have much should try to take care of those who have little. You know, a lot of times when we look at some of the ills in our society, we don't realize that it's the greed of other people that causes the want of these people, you see? If people really were put into practice, the principles that the Lord has given us about how we should handle our wealth there would be much less even of what's out there in terms of, in terms of poverty and homelessness and so forth. All right. So let's continue. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. Very straightforward message. Jesus brought this up too. Please turn with me now to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 24. Matthew, chapter 6, verse 24. Why? Because in this, in this passage in the Gospel of Matthew... Jesus reveals a secret concerning how to be content. Again, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 to 34. Matthew 6, 24 to 34. He's going to say what it is that destroys contentment. And then he's going to flip that around and say, therefore, here's how you remain content. And by the way, he's going to talk about food and clothing. Matthew 6, 24. Now, no one can serve two masters. This is the problem of the rich, foolish man. You can't serve God and well. He says, no one can serve two masters. Your master is either the Lord or it's something else. It's either the Lord or an idol. That's basically what it comes down to. Here, he's dealing with money. No one can serve two masters. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. 
So many rich people are so busy and so into themselves and so they, they count their worth in life on how rich they are compared to others, on the, on the adulation they get because of what wealth can buy. And they're so focused on that. You know what? A lot of them could care less about God. A lot of them are atheists or, or indifferent to the things of the Lord. Why? Because you can't serve two masters. You know, George Washington, I guess he said this, but it would, whoever said it, it was a really great point. He says, money makes a great servant, but a terrible master. You cannot serve two. You've got your master in heaven, and then in this case, you've got wealth. Pick it. Pick what you're going to serve. He says, you're going you're to hate one and love the other. Who are you going to hate? What are you going to hate? What are you going to love? You'll hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. That's how it works. It works on the positive side. When we're devoted by the despise doesn't have that tinge of emotion or hatred. It just means disregard. Disregard the other. If you're devoted to the Lord, you'll be disregarding whatever your financial circumstances are. You're hoping you understand that the Lord's going to provide for you. As he says to the givers in 2 Corinthians, you know, always having all sufficiency for everything. But, but you don't have to worry about that. Your vision shouldn't include being preoccupied with your financial situation. It should be occupied with the things of the Lord. So you devote to the Lord, you'll be indifferent to, to, your, to gain, you know, gaining money, to thirst for money. He says the other way works too, though. If you're devoted to money, you're going to disregard the Lord. It's just that simple. And all of us can make, those, make that choice every day of our lives. There's no need to choose money, however. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now here's why. This is the secret. Look at verse 25. For this reason, be saying, listen, because you cannot serve both God and wealth, I'm going to tell you what you should do. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried. Do not be worried about your life. Worry is the great killer of contentment. Worry. Worry is, is the thing that will stop us from being grateful. Right? Do not be worried about your life as to what you'll eat. Or what you'll drink. Nor for your body. As to what you will put on. Do not be worried. Notice he goes right to the same two things that Paul talks about. Don't, don't be worried today about what you're going to eat. What you're going to drink. Don't be worried about what you're going to wear for clothing today. And here's the key. Is not life more than food? Not even when you have an abundance does your life consist of riches. Don't be, don't be so focused on being rich for yourself that you're not rich towards God. He says, is not life more than food? You should ask yourself the same question. And not just food, but in the material. Is that really your whole life? I mean, do you, do you really think it's healthy to define your well-being and life by what's in your bank account? I mean, how limited an understanding of life does that really you know, amount to? Your life is everything that the Lord has for you. Relationships, uh, the word of God, one another, um, a relationship with him, a growing relationship with him, the, the, the ability to understand and know the creator of the universe. Life is so much more than these things of what we worry about in eating and drinking and clothing and so forth. And he, then he illustrates it. It's a great perspective shift. He says, I want you to think about a few things. Look at nature, he said. Look at the birds of the air. 
Now, we have a lot of birds of the year this time in Florida. I guess a lot of them come down south because it's too cold up there in New England. But we have a lot of birds right around. Just take a moment and look at them. He says, look at the birds of the year. They don't sow. They're not planting their food. They don't reap or gather into barns. <laughs> you, know, you don't see birds over there building barns and saying, hey, this is mine. I'm going to put it in there. I mean, squirrels might, but they're kind of weird. Um, but he says, you know, don't reap or gather into barns. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. The bird comes around, right? There's a little hummingbird this time of year. And guess what? Wow, the, the, the tree's already there. The blossoms are already there. It goes, right? Didn't build it, didn't plant it, none of that. The Lord takes care of the the animals, the birds of the field. And he says, yet your heavenly Father feeds them, and this is the perspective. Are you not worth much more than they? Are you really going to define yourself by what it is that you can earn? Or do you realize that, you know what, I'm so much more than that. In fact, the Lord sees me as a special creation. I'm created in the image and likeness of God. He's never said that about a bird or a cattle or even an angel. He's saying, know who you are. Trust the fact that you have a heavenly father who's going to care for you in all these areas. Are you not worth much more than they? The answer is we are. Verse 27. Here we are again. Here's again the problem. And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Think about it. Think about all the things you're worried about, particularly the things that you worry about that might lead to death. Because those are the worries that we all have from time to time. I had a lot of imagination about what could happen in the future. I never guessed that I would get cancer, that that would be the thing. I mean, I thought about it from time to time. But I could worry about all kinds of other things. I could even worry about that. But none of that worry translated into health. It doesn't. It says, look, as a matter of fact, being worried can subtract hours from your life. That's really the truth. By being worried. Worried is, worry is not healthy. He's saying, who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Now, it goes back to nature. He says, we've talked about the birds of the year. Let's talk about the lilies of the field. Okay, or any flowers, but particularly the beautiful lilies. He says, observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil, nor do they spin. They're not creating their own beautiful flower. It's just who they are. But he says, I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. Think about it. God's clothing for, for a lily is more spectacular than the greatest clothing that Solomon, the great king, ever wore. And that's a fact. You know, you look, that's another thing we have a lot of in flowers. Flowers. The, the state was named, by the way, for flowers. And you look around and you see the beauty of these flowers. Again, take a moment. Right? Smell the roses, they say. Right? This year, this time of year, a lot of people are smelling the coffee for another reason. We won't get into that. But smell the roses. Smell the flower. Take a moment and just think about it. Where did this beauty come from? Did, did man make that? Were there people that were, that were creating these? You know, it's funny. You look at artificial. You ever look at artificial flowers? I'm sure you all have. Can't you tell, like, almost instantly that they're artificial? Right? Well, that's man's best attempt at trying to do what God does all the time in all kinds of places. But naturally, literally. Just, they just pop up. He says, listen. He says, if God so clothes the grass of the field, making it beautiful, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace. In other words, he has infinite wealth. 
If he's able to give that, if he's able to take the care about something that's going to be here for one day, a butterfly, apparently the life of a butterfly is less than a week, look at the beauty of a monarch butterfly. Look at the, the incredible design that the Lord provided for having, having just this little um, chrysalis, right? And then out of it, pop. All of that for beauty that would last less than a week. That's the God we have. And he's saying, I have plans for you. I have a life for you. Don't you think I'm going to take care of you who are made in my image and likeness? And of course, the answer is, of course. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, tomorrow is thrown in the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? By the way, he's already clothed us with righteousness, has he not? What's greater clothing than that? We have the full armor of God. What's greater clothing than that? Right? The shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. Really not much more clothed you, ye of little faith. Here it is again, verse 31. Do not worry. Can you have a guess yet as to how it is, the secret of, what's the secret of contentment is? Not worrying. This ain't rocket science, but you know, it's something we have a hard time putting into practice. Do not worry then. Saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles, the unbelievers, eagerly seek all of these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, doesn't he? He created our bodies. He knows that you know, we require food and clothing and shelter. He knows all of that. Who are we kidding? What an insult to be always fidgeting and fussing about something that the Father has promised to take care of you with. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat? What will, you know, worry is a mental illness. If you stop to think about it. It's a mental illness. In other words, it's delusional. The idea that somehow, you know, if I just worry enough, then this stuff won't happen. Are you kidding me? That's, that is really a delusion. That is a mental illness to think that. Especially for a Christian. He wants you to have health. Mentally as well as physically, as, especially spiritually. It's not going to come by worrying. Okay? He says, don't worry saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles, eagerly seek all those things. Look at the world we're in. They're always seeking all those things. It's, to me, it's incredible, particularly in clothing and the fashion industry, where like, every year they're trying to come up with something different. And I don't know, but I look at them now and I'm like, you know, I don't really think you're improving. <laughs> Some of the crazy stuff that these supposedly world-famous designers are coming up with is pretty ugly, actually, if you ask me. Um, and so and, and if you look back, and this is... All taste, I suppose. But if you look, go way, go way back. Go, go to a, a, a black girl in the South who had one set of clothes, but they were well made and a lot of love was put into them. That's, be- that's much better than you know, looking at some runway and looking at this crazy stuff, webs and whatever they do. I, obviously, I'm not an expert on that. But, um, but uh, the world craves after those things. What's new? What's different? What's more? Give me more. Give me something different. Same thing with food. I'm always amazed at how things multiply. I was looking at coffee the other day. And, you know, when I was a kid, we had coffee. Right? Then, when, then like, it was really something when they started to have vanilla-flavored coffee. Well, now they have, like, eight things in a row. Vanilla-flavored, um, strawberry, you know, this and that. Like, all in one cup of coffee. 
And we do the same thing with all kinds of foods, right? Oh, le- pizza, right? The old days, for me, pizza was just crust and, you know, and then like something on top of it, a little cheese. Well, now you have to have the crust has to be full of cheese. You have to have cheese on top of the, of the, of the pepperoni and on the side. Then you have to have this bread, this gooey bread that comes along with it that you can stretch this way and that way. Always. The world's never satisfied. They're always looking for some angle, something more, something different, something new. So again, the Gentiles seek those things. The world. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. He knows how to provide better than you could ever imagine. Now, what's the secret now? How do we then move into the mindset? He says, it's real simple. He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. He's saying, listen, the secret here is to stop worrying and just seek his righteousness. Seek the life that he has designed for us to live. The right way of living. The things that reflect his holiness and his justice. Be a, be a just person. Be fair to other people. And he said, you know, David in another psalm said, I have been young and I have been old. I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. Do we believe that? And if that was true for David and the Jews in the Old Testament, how much more true is it now that we're his adopted sons and daughters, that we have Christ in us, the hope of glory? He says, listen, don't worry about that. All right? I, you focus on me, my things. You focus on what I'm asking you to do, the way I'm asking you to think. Focus on the Lord in heaven. And these other things will be added to you. You don't have to worry about it. You know, a lot of times we, uh, we, have, we give ourselves self-inflicted wounds when we're worried and we're working so hard in this area. And guess what? It, you know, I mean, how many people have made fortunes and then find them all gone when the stock market crashes? Or, or you're in a situation where you think you're getting ahead and you're working and you're all focused on your portfolio and all of that. And all of a sudden, all these things happen in your life where you're going to spend all that money and you lose it anyway. The Lord knows better. He's saying, you're looking in the wrong direction if you're looking at what you can do, what you can save. He says, well, just look at me, and I will make sure I take care of you the best way to tell you can be taken care of. Verse 34, one more time. Do not worry. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Ain't that the truth? Is it? I mean, we have more than enough every day to handle we don't have to be projecting out, what about this? What about that? Who, how are we going to pay for the roof? How are we going to pay for the college education? What if we run out of food in two weeks? What if there's a civil unrest and we, you know, whatever? Well, you know what? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying there could never be civil unrest, but I can tell you that there have been people worried about that. There have been people that have been out there in the woods building these things and stocking them all for 20 years, Right? Well, and it may not do them any good. I mean, they may, they may have a forest fire the day before the civil unrest and all that stuff's burned up anyway. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. He's going to take care of you. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Very simply, stop worrying. I'm worried now that this slide isn't going to come up. Stop worrying. But here's the key, right? You know, you're, 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 as long as you're focused, let's say you're riding a bike and you're focused with not falling, and you're all like, whoa, oh, I'm going to fall, I'm going to fall. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to fall a lot. But when you don't do that anymore and you just look forward and you're enjoying the fact that you're moving ahead, 
You're not worried about falling anymore. So the trick here is to focus on the Lord. Trust in Him. You won't worry. Once you trust in Him, once you see Him coming through for you again and again, when you've let go of you thinking that you can control your situation, and then He comes through and takes care of you, and you get that confidence, now you have a trust that allows you to stop worrying. And He says over and over again, I'll supply all of your needs. When the Jews were in the desert, and they had nothing. They had no food. They had no water. He provided for them. They had their own ideas of how to do it. They panicked. They freaked out. They were attacking Moses, cursing the Lord, and all these things. And then he brings them food from heaven. And then they got tired of that. Right? Well, you know what? The Lord will provide. And you have to trust that he will in all situations in life. Verse 9. Let's go back to 1 Timothy now. Chapter 6, verse 9. 1 Timothy 6, 9. But those who want to get rich. Notice it doesn't say those who are rich. Here, it's important. Those who want to get rich have an unhealthy desire to be rich. What happens to them? They fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Very visual. Very visual. Right? We're going to see this in a minute. There's a chain reaction here. You fall. Temptation leads to a snare. Leads to foolish and harmful desires. And then you're there and you're plunged into ruin and destruction. And again, I want to make the point right away. It's not those who are rich. Paul's going to deal with those who are rich later on in this chapter. And he's going to say it's not a crime to be rich. But the fact of the matter is, is now you have things that you can use to help other people. So that you, you, you're planning for your inheritance in, in the eternal state. Okay. So it's not, the problem isn't being rich. The problem is in wanting to get rich. Why? Because now your focus is in the wrong place. If you're rich, the Lord has blessed you financially. As long as you're not striving after more, you're in a great position to be able to focus on the things of the Lord. As, as a woman who didn't get married could. Right? So that there's nothing wrong with being rich. The Lord has set you up for that. There's everything wrong with that desire, that lust, that greed in your heart. Right? Man looks at the externals. God looks at the heart. It's those who want to get rich. That's the problem that he's talking about here. All right. Now, every once in a while, I, when I see something really visual, every once in a while I try to play around with actually making it visual on a slide. I usually don't do too well, but here we go again. All right. Those who want to get rich, they fall. One way or another. Where do they fall? It starts with temptation. That's the first thing. Now all of a sudden, you've kind of opened yourself up. You're very vulnerable to being tempted in all these different areas. Believe me, the world will bring on all kinds of temptations. Once you've succumbed to the idea that I need to get rich, I want to be rich, money, 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 the world will come right in and say, what about this? What about that? What about the other thing? Temptation. It doesn't stop there. It moves to what? A snare. That's a trap. Once you've been tempted and you go for it, then there's a trap waiting for you. And, and, and the other places here in First Timothy where, where Paul talks about a snare, it's always of the devil. I don't want to get too dramatic here, but he set all these things up to entrap us. Once we fall for temptation and then we give in with lust, he's got us. He's trapped us. That's his whole desire. These are dangers that come from an inordinate desire 
for riches. Temptation, you lured into, you lured into the trap. Then you succumb to it with, the, with your lusts, boom, you're captured. The desire for wealth makes you susceptible to all kinds of corruption, suggestions, opportunities that are unscrupulous and so forth. Things like lying, right? When you desire to get rich, you'll be tempted to lie about something. You know, tempted to overstate something. Tempted to cheat about something, your taxes or cheating people out of things. Think of Ananias and Sapphira, where they had said, I'm going to give all this to the church, and they held back. Why? Because they wanted to be rich. They had a desire for that. Charging excessive interest. The Bible specifically says not to do that, especially for the poor. What do we do? Not, not us. But what does the world do? They charge higher interest for the poor. That is messed up. That is not right. That is against God's plan for the economy. Taking bribes. So many people that want to get rich in their position, they'll take a bribe. They'll, they'll steal off the top. All these different things. They'll hoard like we just saw the rich man. Then you're trapped, and then what happens? It's set by the devil. There's a power. You're captive. You can't free yourself. And then we see that the lusts, they're foolish and harmful. Both. You made a fool like the foolish rich man, and they're harm. So much harm is done. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Those who want to get rich fall into many foolish and harmful desires. They act like fools. And they hurt people. People that want to be rich ending up, end up hurting people. Most of, the, most of all themselves. We're going to see this at the end of, of, chapter, of verse 10. What's the result? It's catastrophe. You have these many foolish and harmful desires. I've just described some of them. Now what does it say? There's this deep water, and you're going to be plunged into it, right? Plunged into what? Destruction and ruin. Can you see that this is a uh, chain reaction? What does this start with? Wanting to get rich. What does it lead to? Being tempted, falling into the trap, many foolish and harmful desires. Then what happens after that? Then you're going to be plunged. The word actually means being, being pushed into water. You're going to be plunged into ruin and destruction. These desires will sink you into the depths of destruction and ruin. The destruction, by the way, here is complete, final. All right? That's the end of your life will be, will be destruction and ruin. Mark it down. Not if you're rich. But if you're always clawing and desiring and wanting more and cheating and lying and stealing and all those things, it won't end well. It won't end well. Verse 10, as we, clo- as we wrap up this morning. For the love of money. Now here it says a root of all sorts of evil. A better translation is the love of money is the root of all the evils. We'll see what that's all about. And some... We've seen that before, that word in 1 Timothy. Some, by longing for it, there's that desire, have wandered away from the faith. You cannot serve two masters. Wandered away from the faith, right? The principles of the word of God, and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Again, the love of money is the root of all the evils. Now, you might stop and say, wait a minute. It's not true. Well, guess what? This is an exaggeration. This is hyperbole. 
He's trying to make a strong statement here. Of course, the Bible says that the, the love of money is not the only source of evil. I mean, there's pride, for example. There's uncontrolled sexual desire. There are other things. But here, he's exaggerating on purpose. So he makes a strong point. What's the strong point? Greed produces devastating results. That's what he's saying here. Greed produces devastating results. God's word says that the love of money is particularly evil vice. Colossians 3.5 equates greed with idolatry. Idolatry is the core, it's the first commandment, right? I shall have not have any gods before me. Idolatry is wicked, all right? Greed, Colossians 3.5 equates the two. It says greed is idolatry, okay? Love of money disqualifies a man for a leadership position in the church. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. This is again in this letter. Uh, it's a big issue in this letter for the false teachers, but also for any man who would, would aspire to be a leader in the church. We've seen this, 1 Timothy 3, verses 2 to 3. An overseer, then, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, and free from the love of money. An ordinate desire for money disqualifies a man from leadership in the church. All right, go back to verse 10 as we're wrapping up. The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil or is the root of all the evils. And some, by longing for it, have what? Wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Notice that word some. When Paul uses that word, some, referring to people in 1 Timothy, he's always talking about the false teachers. He's dismissing them. Some of those. He's referring to false teachers. He's saying, listen, their lust for wealth blinds them. It's blinding. It's like you're not, you can't look at anything else. It's blinding them. And what happens? They veer off course. They were, they were on their way regarding the word of God, and then they had this lust for wealth overtake them, and then they're veered off course. And then they reject the teachings, particularly the gospel. They're full of deception. They deceive themselves. But not only that, they pierce themselves. themselves. It doesn't say that the situation you put yourself in pierces you. It says you are piercing yourself with many griefs. Self-inflicted wounds. Now, we're not told what, what they are, but there, we are told there are a lot of them. Let me give you a few that, we, that are suggested by other parts of the Bible. Dissatisfaction. You pierce yourself with that grief. You follow, you know, you're, you're rich people that are miserable all the time. Rich people that won't give you the time of day. All right? Not rich people, those desiring to be rich. Right? Get out of my way. You know, the people you knock over on the way up are the people you have to pass by on the way down, right? Dissatisfied, never satisfied. I had some bosses that were like that. They were never, no matter what, they were never satisfied. I'm not saying they desired to be rich, but some of them did. Constant cravings. Oh, I want this, I want that. I need this, I need that. What are they doing over there? What about this contract? What about this agreement? How's that storehouse doing, right? Constant cravings and then emptiness. Why? Because you can't fulfill all those things. Emptiness, worry, anxiety. These are the things that people who want to get rich, 
pierced themselves with self-inflicted wounds, all of them. Worry, anxiety, loneliness. Think Scrooge, right? The whole, Scrooge, the whole idea was, uh, here's this man, he's miserly, he wants every last penny, he wants his, uh, his workers to work on Christmas Day and all of that. He's all about money, counting it and all that. Well, what is the whole point of that, of that book or that play or whatever? It's that he take, he's taken to his past and says, look at all you've lost Look at the people you ignored. Some of them have died. Then he goes into the present. You know that his people, your family that care about you, but you never give them the time of day. And then he goes into the future. He says, you're going to die someday. And then there's going to be nobody at your funeral. Relationships, loneliness, guilt, regrets, fear. These are self-inflicted wounds. You don't have to have them. All right, let's just finally go to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes 5. A lot of passages today. Hope you wrote them down. If you didn't, by the way, you can get them all on the website. We have every service, every message up there. Go all the way back. You can go back to 2010 if you want. Ecclesiastes 5.16. This also is a grievous evil. One more time, right? Exactly as a man is born, thus he will die. Notice. So what is the advantage for him who toils for the wind? I love that expression. They're toiling, they're working hard, but they don't realize it's going to be blown away with the wind. Gone with the wind. Verse 7. Throughout his life, this is what he does to himself. What? He also eats in darkness. With great vexation, anxiety, worry, sickness, and anger. That's what this leads to. Your inordinate desire for wealth will lead to all of these self-inflicted wounds. So let's finally, you don't have to turn there, but we really need to take advice. That's here that Jesus gave us in Matthew 6, that Paul has given us here, but also in the book of Hebrews. I'll just read it. You can turn there if you're fast. Make sure... Make sure, we're warned again, that your character is free from the love of money. Being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Put that in your pocket. Make sure that you look at that and say, this is a solution to all these cravings and dissatisfaction that I have. Make sure your character is free from the love of money being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to come to you and thank you so much. We thank you, Father, that you have provided us the greatest riches of all and that we have nothing without you. And we thank you, Father, that you provide us things to enjoy in life and you want us to enjoy them, but you don't want us worrying about them, being fixated on them, being greedy and selfish. So we would ask, Father, as we, as we now enter into the Lord's Supper, that we would draw the example from who Christ is and, and what about him led him to the cross. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. I invite now the ushers forward to please pass out the, the communion elements today.
We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, that, that, that's what's different about our Lord from anything that the world could ever imagine. Grace means that God and Christ are all about giving. Giving all that they can for us. Well, that's what the cross is really all about. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is is willingness to give everything that we need. That though he was rich, he had it all in heaven. Yet he, he gave that up and he came down for our sake. For our sake he became poor. See, that's God's idea. That, that those who are rich become poor. Why? So that we, through his poverty, might become rich. That's how God does it. That's how the Lord Jesus Christ did it. He said, in my grace, I'm going to come here. And I'm going to give up all that I had in heaven. And, and then I'm going to come here on earth. And I'm going to live a life of poverty. But not only in terms of his wealth, but also in terms of his being persecuted. And then that poverty would become ultimate when he goes to the cross. When he's naked and penniless. And then he dies for us. His his complete poverty, he did that all for us. So that through that, through his death on the cross, we might become rich. And we have become rich. We have become rich in every way. The Lord is abounding in riches for all who call on him. The riches of having all of our sins forgiven. That is, that is richer than anything else that any wealth can ever purchase for us. The fact that our sins have been forgiven. You know, you, we, you could buy everything that you want. You could have all kinds of wealth. But you'll never by yourself erase the stain of the guilt that you have for the sins you commit. God gave that to you through the blood of Christ. That's riches. That's abounding in riches. God the Father, when you believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, He declared you righteous for all time. That's a gift. That's tremendous riches. And He gave you eternal life. Think of it. All the concentration of of worrying and wealth and finances and power and Wall Street and, and all of those things, right? They're all for this life only. And that's it. But He has given you a far greater life than any of that. And you have it now. You have a life that not only will you have in heaven forever, but you have it right now. And it's a superior life now than anything this world has for you. Anything money can buy. That's riches. Through his poverty, we might become rich. He wants us to learn about him. He wants our hearts to be encouraged. He wants us, by the way, to love one another. And he wants us to attain wealth in this life. But you know what it comes from? It comes from the full assurance of understanding who he is. And truly understanding God's mystery, which is Christ himself. Christ himself. He dwells in us now. God wants us to understand all the riches that are embodied in the person of Jesus Christ who dwells in us. Because in him, Colossians 2 says, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Those are things that the world can't erase. Robbers can't steal. And, and they won't rust. Wealth and knowledge. Tre- treasures of wisdom. And then we finally we know 
from Ephesians chapter 1 that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He became poor on the cross so we could become rich with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. And he wants us to know it. He wants us to know the hope of his calling. He wants us to understand the riches of the glory of his inheritance. And he wants us to know how great his power is toward us. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that on the the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Heavenly Father, your son's death ought to be proclaimed. Ought to be proclaimed for the amazing grace that was displayed at the cross. That his death brought life. His death brought riches, his poverty. Everyone should know that. Everyone needs to understand what really matters. Your love for us, your grace, your forgiveness all through the death of Christ on the cross. Help us, Father, as long as we live, to keep proclaiming the message of the gospel until we either go come to be with you or he comes for us. We ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Every Thursday, we have Bible study on Skype at 6.30. We invite you to join us this Thursday. We're studying the book of Isaiah. We also pray at the end of that. There's so much to pray for. I am, um, you know, it's probably exaggerated because I'm getting prayer requests, but I have two areas that we're seeing right now are drug addiction and COVID-19, like never before. And so even if you can't join us, please pray for all those, particularly young people that have addictions, all those among us who at the present time have COVID or are recovering from it, or those of us who have lost the loved ones because of it, all right? and other things as well. But Thursday evening is when we, we have our prayer service. You are always welcome to give us prayer requests by going on our website, and you'll see where you can do that. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just once again want to thank you for all of this. We want to thank you that you fed us with your word today. We want to thank you that you've warned us about the dangers of of greed. We thank you, Father, most of all, that you've given us an opportunity here at the end today to once again bring into remembrance the death of the Lord. Father, as we leave today, we would just please help us to be giving people, to be people that share the good news that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and that you raised him from the dead so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Okay, you're dismissed now. Enjoy the day, and we'll gather together again in person next Sunday, but on Skype this Thursday at 6.30.